Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com, the show that's dedicated to saving you money on buying and owning a vehicle. Now, here's your host, Rick Popley. Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks, where each week we help you make smarter choices about buying and owning a vehicle and save money. Hello, everyone. I'm Rick Popley, your host and proprietor. Thanks for joining me. Today, we will talk about used cars. Nearly three out of four vehicles purchased in the U.S. each year are used cars or trucks. And at some point, everyone who owns a vehicle is in the market to either buy or sell a used car. But unlike new cars, which come with a window sticker that lists a manufacturer's suggested retail price, the value of a used vehicle can vary based on a number of factors and is open to interpretation. Determining the value of a used vehicle, however, isn't all voodoo. Dealers rely heavily on market data to set values. There also are guidelines you can use to set a realistic value for a car you want to sell or whether the price is right for a used car you want to buy. We will talk about that today with representatives from two well-known and highly respected sources of used car values, the NADA Used Car Guide and Kelly Blue Book. My first guest will be Larry Dixon from the NADA Used Car Guide, who will speak from an industry and dealer standpoint. During the second half of the show, we will talk with Alec Gutierrez, Senior Market Analyst for Kelly Blue Book, who will discuss consumer angles. Before we head off to the used car lot, here is this week's auto news you might be able to use. What is mainly black and white with several shades of gray? That would be the new cars and trucks we buy. According to PPG Industries, a leading supplier of paint to vehicle manufacturers, PPG says the four most popular colors for the 2013 model year were white, black, gray, and silver. 21% of new vehicles sold in America were white, 19% were black, 17% were gray, and 15% were silver. Combined, those four colors accounted for 72% of the new vehicles sold for the 2013 model year. 11% were red, and 9% were blue, adding some needed color to a rather dull automotive landscape. Used cars are the topic for today's show, and the used car business is heating up. Sonic Automotive, a new car dealership group based in Charlotte, North Carolina, said this week it plans to add a separate network of used car dealerships starting next year as a competitor for CarMax, the used car chain. Sonic said its first standalone used car store would open in the Denver area toward the end of 2014. And it has long-term plans for well over 100 used car dealerships. A Sonic executive did not give a specific number, but said 100 was just the tip of the iceberg. CarMax is the largest seller of used vehicles in the country by a wide margin and currently has about 125 stores around the country. Ford Motor Company today reported that it made money for the 17th consecutive quarter. Ford reported a pre-tax profit of $2.6 billion, a record for the third quarter, and a net profit of $1.3 billion. New vehicle sales in the U.S. are up 8% this year, but Fords are up 16%. Honda has agreed to settle a class action lawsuit that claimed 1.6 million Honda vehicles burned excessive amounts of oil, causing spark plugs to foul and misfire. The settlement covers several Honda models from the 2008 through 2013 model years with V6 engines. This includes the Accord, Odyssey, Pilot, and Crosstour. No four-cylinder Honda models were included. Under terms of a preliminary settlement, owners will be able to submit claims to recover out-of-pocket expenses related to burning oil and spark plug misfiring. In addition, the powertrain warranty for affected models will be extended to eight years from five 
to cover spark plug misfire. Class action lawsuits like this are common, but some terms of the settlement are not so common. For example, the attorney fees for the plaintiffs will be capped at $800,000. Usually, the attorney fees run into the millions, and the lawyers get far more than the vehicle owners. Also, the original plaintiff asked to be compensated for his time and effort on the lawsuit. How much did he ask for? $1,000. Lawyers everywhere are probably scratching their heads and wondering, what were they thinking? And that is this week's auto news you might be able to use. We're talking used cars today, what the key factors are in determining the value of a used vehicle, and how you can set realistic values for a car you're selling or trading in. To put the used car market in perspective, many in the auto industry are excited that new vehicle sales this year will top 15 million units for the first time since 2007. But well over 40 million used cars will be sold this year, nearly three times as many. My first guest today is Larry Dixon, Senior Automotive Analyst for the NADA Used Car Guide, which is affiliated with the National Automobile Dealers Association. The NADA represents most of the 18,000 franchise new car dealers in the United States. Welcome to the show, Larry. Thanks for having me, Rick. Thanks for joining us today. Larry, as I mentioned, the used car market is much larger than the new car market. About how much of that used car business is conducted through franchised new car dealers? That would be about 15%. So out of the roughly 40 to 45 million sales, used vehicle sales that uh, that have been conducted over the past, let's say, 10 years on average, uh, about 15% of those of those would go through franchised dealers. Wow, that's a small piece of the pie, isn't it? Um, well, you have to think about the number of vehicles that are sold personal use and also by independent dealers. Ah. Um, but I'll say that over the last few years that franchise dealers have made more of an investment in selling used vehicles, and that goes back to what you were talking about earlier in the investments that Sonic is making in opening up um, new standalone used car dealerships. Right. Uh, I, I noticed in the um, annual NADA data uh, book that roughly 32%, almost one-third of dealer revenue, I believe it was, is uh, from used vehicle sales. So it, That's right. Um, that, that, that's a larger piece of the pie, it looks like. So yeah, it, it is pretty significant, yes. I mean, the margins on used vehicles are much more significant um, than what they are on, on new vehicles. Um, you know, manufacturers obviously set the manufacturer a suggested retail price on vehicles, although dealers have the option of selling vehicles for what they believe the, the market will bear. But as it relates to used vehicles, uh, that's not the case, and it's really based on uh, supply and demand and what dealers can procure vehicles for and what they can sell them for. And actually, I want to back up for just a second. No, it's it's over 30% that franchise, the, the share that franchise dealers have in terms of used vehicles. Oh, 30%. I was, I was wrong about that. Okay. Yeah. So you can break things up into thirds, essentially. So franchise dealers, uh, independent dealers, and, and private party sales, if you break that up into thirds, that's going to comprise your total share of used vehicle sales each year. Okay. Uh, and... What are some of the major factors that dealers would use to determine used car value? When you come in to buy a new vehicle or a different vehicle and you, you have your your older one there, what are they looking for primarily? Well, they're going to be looking first and foremost at the condition of the vehicle as well as the mileage that the vehicle has. How well has the vehicle been maintained? Uh, if you have any sort of documentation that speaks to its service history, that's certainly going to be to your benefit, but they're also going to look at various sources to assess what the overall market value is, and that's really probably where um, they're going to start. You know, the other things that I was mentioning, that's going to have them adjust either up or down the price that they're going to present to, to a customer for their given vehicle, um, but they're really going to look at 
what are vehicles going for in their general market or in the market overall. Uh, you mentioned supply and demand before. Uh, how does that factor in? If I have a, uh, let's say, a Toyota Camry, the most popular car, versus, oh, let's say, you know, a discontinued brand such as a Saab, sure. uh, how much difference is there going to be there? Well, there's going to be significant difference, obviously. Um, supply, it's basic fundamental economics. Um, you know, you have to have uh, an equilibrium between demand and supply. And in the case of Saab, well, they went out of business for a reason, and that's because there wasn't the demand um, there to support the purchase uh, of their vehicles and to keep their business going. Whereas Toyota, um, obviously, there's a significant de- degree of demand for that brand because they've built up such a strong reputation over the years um, for longevity, quality, dependability, and used resale value. Um, Actually, used vehicle prices have been um, on a significant rise ever since 2009, and a significant driver behind that was the dramatic fall-off in new vehicle sales. And as you know, you don't get a, a used vehicle without new vehicles. So per NADA's estimate, used vehicle the, the used vehicle population or used vehicle supply um, since 2007 has declined by about 18 uh, or 20 percent, excuse me. Whereas used vehicle prices for units up to eight years in age have grown by 18 percent. Hmm. So that speaks to that relationship between supply and demand. Okay, and. Uh you're, you're uh, with the NADA Used Car Guide, which is aimed at uh, dealers and lenders and uh, companies that run used car auctions. But they're, the one that uh, consumers can consult is NADA Guides. How are those different? NADA Used Car Guide and, and NADA Guides, we've had a longstanding collaborative relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, NADA Guides is a consumer-facing website. And their analysts are experts in market analysis and in, in the valuation of uh, vehicles other than light vehicles or commercial vehicles, meaning RVs, motorcycles, classic collectible vehicles, whereas the NADA used car guide, well, our analysts are experts in light vehicle, uh, uh, light vehicle prices and commercial vehicle prices. Um, so by joining forces, we can offer a breadth of information to consumers that they wouldn't have in most other places. Uh, are the values different in the NADA guide versus the used car guide? The only difference is that the values that you'll find on nataguides.com mm-hmm. um, from what from the values that you would find that a, that a lender would look at it would be that the values on nataguides.com are nationalized whereas a lender could be looking at a value for their specific region. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and the NADA guides one consumers use. It's a free site, but uh, dealers have to subscribe to the used car guide, correct? Correct, yes. Okay, all right. And um, when consumers trade in a vehicle, well, even if it's in uh, pristine condition, why shouldn't they expect to receive the retail value that's listed in, uh, say, the NADA guide? Well, as with any retail business, dealerships operate by purchasing goods for resale um, at a wholesale price. And their business is predicated on selling that vehicle at a retail price. Mm-hmm. The way that they make money is based on that profit margin. So just like any retailer out there, it's, a, it's the same model. Um, now, that being said, Dealers will certainly offer more in trade-in for a vehicle that's in exceptional condition, that has low mileage, um, you know, where, where they can, where the consumer can validate what the maintenance history has been. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in terms of a trade-in value, they'll certainly increase the amount of money that they'll extend to a consumer based on the condition of the car. And there are a couple of other important points, too. Okay. Uh, uh, pardon me for interrupting here, sure, but we, we do have to take a break. And hold that thought because right. we'll, uh, we'll come back to it when we continue our discussion uh, after this short break.
welcome back to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Here's Rick Hopley. Welcome back, everyone. My first guest today is Larry Dixon, Senior Automotive Analyst for the NADA Used Car Guide. The subject today is used cars and what determines how much a used car is worth. If you have a question or comment, the phone lines are open. You can join the conversation by calling 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. Before the break, Larry, uh, I asked you or you mentioned that uh, dealers buy cars on a wholesale basis and sell them on a retail basis, and you were going to go a little further as to other considerations. Right. Keep in mind that dealers are also performing a service for consumers. They're, they're certainly um, making that transaction or that, that disposal of a used car much easier, meaning consumers don't have to advertise the car. They don't have to go through that uncomfortable uh, situation or inconvenient situation where they have to go and meet a stranger or have a stranger come to their house. Um, and also the process, uh, it helps to, it makes it easier to transfer credit once the trade-in is made towards the purchase of another car, and the dealership handles the bulk of the of the paperwork and the sales documentation. Right. So again, it, there, there's a level of service there that that um, that there should be some sort of associated um, benefit or, or or fee for. Right. It's uh, it's not being done uh, out of the goodness of their hearts. That's for sure. But I have to say this about um, that process is that. Most dealers will take just about any car as a trade-in. I mean, absolute beaters that no uh, individual in their right mind would buy. What happens to those cars? Two things. They'll either go to a wholesaler or they will find their way to a an auto auction. Now, a wholesaler is an individual that that kind of deals in, in the uh, wholesale region, or, or as you would expect. You know, so they're trying to connect... Um, buyers and sellers on the wholesale side. So they'll take an old, old beat-up car, like you're saying, from a dealer that wants nothing absolutely to do with it, and they might have an independent dealer that would uh, be willing to take that vehicle or they specialize in you know, lower lower price vehicles. Um, or else they could find their way uh, to an auto auction, which mm-hmm. is a, an open environment where multiple dealers can go and bid on a given vehicle. And auctions aren't just for older cars, correct? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, they, they, the, the, the types of vehicles that end up at an auto auction really uh, run the gamut from older vehicles with very high mileage to where um, they're actually being pushed through the lanes, um, <laughs> which I've seen in the past. Uh, they'll have multiple individuals there pushing the cars through the lanes, um, to really brand-new vehicles that, uh, you know, 2013 models, for example, that a rental company is uh, divesting themselves of. I see. So so everything from <laughs> new to heavily abused. That's exactly right, yes. When now, when, when uh, uh, dealers do buy some of the used cars they sell, uh, they buy them at the auctions. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there risks involved for them in, in that, I mean, they don't, I don't know how much time they get to look at these cars, but uh, they're buying a car based on sight mainly, correct? Well, to an extent, yes. Absolutely, there are risks, um, but they do have the benefit of a, a condition assessment that's performed by the auction house mm-hmm. when the consigner brings the vehicle in. So they have export condition report writers that will look at the condition of the vehicle They'll document where there are any, there's any damage, dents, dings, nicks, um, any evidence of accidents, things of that nature. Um, but if the report writer misses something, which they're not, keep in mind, they're not taking these vehicles out for test drives, they're spending a limited amount of time with the vehicle, and after the dealer purchases it and they uncover some sort of issue, well, then they are oftentimes... Um, left to have to deal with that. They the have to, the so. dealer is? Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. wow. So there are risks. Absolutely there are risks. Just like there is for consumers. Exactly, yes. But they you know, they will try to get to the auction before the sale goes off, so mm-hmm. that way they can kick the tires and really feel the car 
uh, feel the car out, literally feel the car out, where dealers will run their fingers along the lines of the car to feel if there are any inconsistencies in the paint to where they can determine if, if it's been in an accident before. Um, but anyway, it's just like a consumer kicking the, t- the, the tires of a used car. A dealer will do the same thing. Uh, now, uh, when, when a dealer takes a car as a trade-in from a consumer, they spend more time probably looking at it, but I assume there are still risks involved in that, correct? Of course, yes. Yeah, the, the condition issue remains. Um, whether a, a consumer is aware of it or not, uh, you know, a dealer is going to, they're going to do their due diligence with the vehicle, but mm-hmm. they're not going to, to take uh, most of the time a vehicle that's being appraised for a trade, they're not going to spend an exorbitant amount of time in driving that vehicle around. They're going to look at it very closely. They're going to um, assess it in a manner similar to, to the uh, con- condition report writers at auction. They'll probably put it up on a lift and look at it underneath. But as you know, there are issues that are in, intermittent in vehicles, such as with a transmission, that might not manifest itself during that review or that appraisal. Right. Those so. are the types of problems that consumers have, but then when they take it to a dealer, they can't find it either. Exactly. <laughs> so then the dealer could take the vehicle out on the road and, uh, you know, and then ultimately find out, uh, you know, days after the transaction's been completed that it needs a new, whole new transmission or a rebuilt transmission or some other um, significant expense that, that, they had not expected. Okay, so so a an experienced used car appraiser at, at at a new car dealership takes in trade-ins all the time, and he's got a seasoned eye for these things, and he can make a pretty good estimate. And they decide, well, we're gonna we'll we'll take this vehicle, but we're gonna auction it. Is there a cost of auctioning that vehicle? First of all, and secondly. Are there risks that when they take it to the auction, something in the market conditions may change, and what he thinks it was supposed to be worth, it may not be worth that much? Oh, sure. In fact, that happens even when they take the vehicle in trade and they expect to retail it. You know, dealers, um, they're they're excellent businessmen, Mm -hmm. and they understand more often than not the nuances of their specific market, but there are occasions... Uh, where, a, for example, where a Ford dealer who's not as familiar with a, a model from Kia, they'll take that model from Kia in on trade, not understanding what the, what the demand is for that vehicle in their market. Um, and so they can overpay and their margins could be lower. And if they sit on it for too long, they have floor plan expenses. Um, you know, they're paying interest on that vehicle every day, and it could become a, a, a money-losing proposition for them. Um, but in taking it to the auction... You know, a, a similar thing can happen. You know, they can they can overpay. They can think, you know, I'm, we're not going to put this on our lot because it simply doesn't jive with the the types of vehicles or the brands of vehicles that we normally sell. So we'll take it to auction, um, and they might not procure as much money as they had expected to get at auction for that vehicle. And then you have to factor in all the associated fees um, that it took with bringing it to the auction. There are fees involved. Then. Absolutely, transportation fees. You have auction fees, um, you know, that are based more often than not on a sliding scale that's based off of the the, the sale price of the car. Um, reconditioning fees if the dealer elects to have the auction house per- perform some sort of reconditioning service to the car. So yes, there are there are a myriad of associated fees that can add up to hundreds of dollars. Okay, so so anyone who goes to a dealer think, thinking that he looked up. The value of his car, and they said the retail value is eight thousand dollars. There is no way in in heck he should expect to get eight thousand dollars. More often than not, no. Of course, there there are always special mm-hmm. circumstances, but as a general rule, absolutely not. And it's funny that you say that because you know, being someone that cut their teeth in setting used vehicle values, every every consumer, or many consumers, I should say, tend to believe that, that they have a cream puff vehicle that's, you know, that's cleaner than any other vehicle out there, and they can't necessarily understand why they didn't get top dollar for that vehicle. Just, when like, the, when, just like with our house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the reality <laughs> of it is we know that, that average is an average for a reason, that because there are more vehicles out there that are in average condition than, than are in clean or even in rough condition. So. Right. 
Now the uh, uh, the uh, values that you publish uh, in NADA uh, uh, Used Car Guide, there's this is pretty much market data that you're relying on, correct? Absolutely, it is. Yes, you're gathering it from what sources? From a variety of sources, auctions, which we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. We also gather them directly from dealerships, and that's both wholesale data from dealerships, meaning what they are actually paying consumers for their trade-ins, as well as retail prices, meaning what consumers are paying the dealer to purchase the vehicle. And we're also looking at asking price information from sites such as autotrader.com or cars.com, and we're also getting information from manufacturers as well. So all told, we have over 180 million transactions sitting in our database that we're constantly adding to every month. We add approximately uh, one and a half to two million records to our database on a monthly basis. Hmm. Um, So by looking at these various different data sources and complementing that with a very experienced staff, then we can triangulate what we believe to be the most reflective uh, used vehicle value in the market. Now, is some of that information uh, reflected in the consumer uh, version of the NATA guides? It absolutely is. Again, what you would see on nataguides.com, it's the same value that a lender or that a dealer would see with the exception of it is an aggregated national value, meaning we publish our values in 10 different regions I see. throughout the country, and so that you're going to have 10 specific values but it's a national average of that figure that consumers would find on nataguides.com. Okay, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, Nata Guides publishes um, trade-in values and a dealer retail, correct? That's correct, yes. Various conditions of trade-in value, clean, rough, and average, as well as a clean retail value. Because, of course, a dealer, okay. um, more often than not, is not going to sell a rough retail vehicle. Right, and uh, most many people probably think their their one in rough or fair condition is probably pristine. <laughs> that happens frequently, yes. Okay, and um, what guidelines can you give consumers about researching the value of their vehicles and setting uh, realistic expectations? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great segue. Um, what consumers, how they currently, how many of them currently view their vehicles into this question. Um, Really, it is perform, number one, perform a a realistic appraisal of your vehicle. Walk around the vehicle, look at the number of dents, dings, scratches that you have on there. Don't don't look at the vehicle through rose-colored lenses. Look at it very much objectively. Um, Document what you've the condition is like on the interior, if you have any sort of documentation in terms of its maintenance history, you know, do an assessment there, how good of an owner have you been in that regard. Um, And then from there, really, do your homework. Uh, Look at sites such as nativeguides.com to determine what the, the overall market value is for a given vehicle. And then from there, you can work down to a price that's more fitting of for your specific vehicle. Because you'll notice that I said a market value, not not a consumer's value. Because what I was talking about before, all those little idiosyncrasies, those are going to uh, weigh into the value of a particular person's car. Hmm. Uh, I noticed that on, on Craigslist uh, uh, locally here, not that that's, you know, a... Um, um, data-driven as people putting up their own prices, though, they can be all over the board for the yes. same, you know, similar vehicle. But um, it sounds like what, what you're doing at the used car guide is really managing uh, that data to come up with a much more focused number. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, what, what you'll see on certain sites, um, it is very dispersed, you know, the pricing that you'll see for the same model can be all over the map. But again, a lot of that goes back to what are the specific characteristics of that vehicle? You know, and the, the, the trade-in values that I listed off before, rough, average, and clean, we have a specific set of standards that we're, that we're 
sort of shooting for when we're uh, determining values for each one of those categories. You know, and a, a clean vehicle is one that's, that's, you'll know it when you see it. You know, the paint for its age is going to be in, in excellent condition. Um, you know, the mechanically it's going to be extremely sound. And then you kind of move down the, uh, the spectrum towards rough, and the, the condition will vary accordingly. There's a lot of science as well as some art here. Absolutely, there yeah. is, yes. Yeah. Larry Dixon of the NAD, NADA Used Car Guide, thank you much for uh, sharing your insights on this and spending some time with us today. Thanks for having me, Rick. All okay. right, appreciate it. That was Larry Dixon of the NADA Used Car Guide, which provides used car evaluations for dealers, banks, used car auctions, and others. And when we come back from this break, we will be joined by Alec Gutierrez of the Kelly Blue Book, who will discuss how you can determine how much your used car is worth and whether that whether you're a seller or a buyer. Stay with us. Now, more cars, trucks, and bucks on TalkZone.com with your host, Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. Today's topic is used cars and the science and art of placing a value on a used vehicle. One of the best-known and most popular sources for used car values for consumers is the Kelly Blue Book, found online at kbb.com. And joining me now is Alec Gutierrez, Senior Market Analyst for Kelly Blue Book. Thanks for being here, Alec. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, Alec, when I go to kbb.com, I find different values depending on whether you're trading in a car, selling to another consumer, or buying it from a dealer. And there can be substantial differences among them. Why is that? Yeah, well, that, that's exactly right. I think whether you're a consumer that's looking to trade in your vehicle, whether you're looking to sell that privately to another individual, or whether you're trying to buy that same vehicle from a dealer, you're going to pay uh, a, a different cost, and, and there are a number of reasons behind that. Um, starting at the bottom, the trade-in value, that's typically going to be the lowest value that you're going to find on our website um, or any of our, our competitors' websites, for that matter, and that's that's because as you trade in a unit, you're, you have to assume that that dealer may not want your particular car. So assume that you're trading in something like a Ford Focus or a Chevrolet Cobalt, and if you're at a BMW dealership, that, that BMW dealer is not going to want to put his car in his lot. So. Really? <laughs> <laughs> just, just taking a guess here, just taking a guess here. So that dealer, they know that they're going to have to take that car to a dealer auction. They might have to recondition the vehicle. They might have to uh, replace the tires, brakes. Um, remove some dents and dings. So there's some costs associated with that, not to mention auction fees, transport, et cetera. Hence why you're going to find a trade-in value to be on the lower end of the spectrum. Right. I, I just pulled up from your site uh, some information for, I, I chose a 2008 Toyota Camry LE. That's, you know, the Camry's mm-hmm. the most popular car. The difference between trade-in and a private party sale can be 1300 to $1,500, you know, according oh, to your values. Absolutely, and we find that in our data. We we collect data from a number of from a number of different sources. So we get uh, data from wholesale auctions. Uh, so we see what's happening in that space. We get data, um, actual appraisal data from from a number of dealers that we have arrangements with, mm-hmm. um, and we get private party sale information um, from uh, a lot of the local DMVs from from across the country. And when we analyze the data. We see that there is that incremental lift there, and, and it makes sense intuitively when you think about it. You know, we, we talked a little bit about trade-in previously. Dealer's got a lot of costs he's got to deal with in, in disposing of that vehicle, whereas when you're selling it to a private party, you're selling it to a person that actually wants that vehicle. They sought you out. They found your car online, and now they're willing to pay a, a little bit more than certainly a dealer who's looking at it from a, a, a pure business perspective. Right, and and on this, this mythical 2008 Toyota Camry LE, which I believe had 75,000 miles on it. Um, the uh, private sale price was 11189 This is for in the Chicago area. The dealer retail was uh, about $750 more. And then above that was the certified pre-owned price, uh, 13189 about, what, $1,300 more. CPO, as they're called, certified pre-owned vehicles, command a premium. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and kind of again taking that walk 
as you're buying a car from from a dealer on his lot, you'd have to assume he's put a little bit of money into it, whether it's, like I said, replacing the tires, dents, dings, what have you, um, not to mention advertising that vehicle. That, that's why you're going to pay a little bit more than you'd pay from buying it from, from another private seller. And if you look at certified pre-owned vehicles, those, CPR car, those CPO cars, you're typically going to find that those are the vehicles that are in the best possible condition. These vehicles are certified by the manufacturer. They have to pass a rigorous inspection process. Um, they're, they're typically covered by a manufacturer's warranty. So you get a lot of those those bells and whistles that typically are reserved for a new car mm-hmm. on a used car, hence hence uh, a bit of a premium there. Yeah, right. Just uh, one thought on that is that uh, on the, the certified pre-owned cars is that the they all come with some kind of an additional warranty. But the, the question I have is they always say, every manufacturer says that they will inspect the car. You know, they'll do perform 150 different inspections. Mm-hmm. But they don't say they'll do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> it's a well-inspected car, you know, supposedly. But uh, um, the CPO cars are becoming more popular. I think they're at record levels. They are. We're, we're seeing um, we're seeing certified pre-owned volume increase at record levels, just like we're seeing uh, new car sales really ramp up over the last several years. We think that as as consumers, certainly in today's um, still growing yet not growing as fast as we'd like to see uh, sort of economic environment, uh, consumers are still very very budget conscious, and ultimately used cars are very very popular. And when you're looking for the peace of mind that comes with the, with owning a new car, and you don't quite have um, the available cash flow to justify that cost, a certified pre-owned unit tends to make an excellent alternative. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you mentioned how uh, new vehicle sales are growing, and I, I mentioned earlier in the show that they will top 15 million units for the first time since 2007. If that continues, if the new vehicle sales continue to increase, what might that do in the next year or two to use car values? Well, we've certainly been keeping an eye on used car values over the last several years as new vehicle sales have been improving. Um, and right now, where we stand today, used vehicle values, um, both at a wholesale and in a retail sense, are really at, at the highest levels that we've ever seen in the industry. Um, and a lot of that is resulting from the fact that there's still this shortage of, of used vehicles out there in the marketplace because of the new vehicle sales downturn that occurred in, in 2008 and 2009. So our expectation is that as new vehicle sales improve, you're going to see additional consumers jumping into the leasing game, which which we're seeing today. That's, mm-hmm. that's going to generate new used cars two, three years down the road. Um, and you're going to have all of those trade-ins coming into the marketplace. And we find that I think it's something like 80 or 85% of all new vehicles sold have a trade-in associated with them. So with that, you're getting um, additional used vehicle inventory. So our expectation is that used vehicle values are going to continue to steadily come down. It's, it's not going to be – you're not going to see values falling off a cliff by any means, but – we're looking at perhaps in the neighborhood of 1% to 2% declines year over year over the next couple of years as, as new vehicle sales continue to improve. So the supply will, will improve, basically. Is, uh, exactly, and that's, that's what it comes down to. It's all about the supply right now. Okay, let, let's switch gears a little here. And, and uh, uh, I talked earlier in the show with Larry Dixon of uh, NADAU's Car Guide about, you know, when consumers trade in a vehicle, they, they shouldn't expect to receive the retail value, but if someone spends, let's say, $300 on new brakes and another 500 bucks on suspension uh, repairs and other stuff, just before they sell or trade in their car, should they expect to recover those costs? We, we tend to recommend that um, consumers aren't necessarily going to recover those costs dollar for dollar, but given two, two equal vehicles right next to each other, you're at a dealership and, and you and the customer next to you both have a, a 2010 Honda Civic to trade in with 10,000 miles or 30,000 miles. They're both black, same equipment. If you've done the work and, and put a little bit of money into the brakes and into replacing the tires and a few other odds and ends, you're not going to get that dollar-for-dollar dollar lift, but you should get a better value on your trade than that guy next to you that didn't replace his tire. So hmm. I wouldn't say it's dollar-for-dollar, dollar, but you should see a, a bit of a bump. Okay. What uh, uh, people do like to customize their cars. Uh, it's kind of like you know putting putting tattoos on your cars. Uh, you know that you make your own statement. What if someone adds twenty inch chrome rims, a louder exhaust, and a big spoiler on the back end of their Honda Civic? <laughs> <laughs> do those features add value? Uh, to be honest, in those cases, I would almost argue the opposite. <laughs> um, 
if you're going to put a big spoiler on your car, uh, you're going to put big wheels on there, you're, you're, you're screaming to potential buyers that this car was potentially um, driven to the limit, used and abused, um, <laughs> because that, that's, I mean, that's basically what you're saying. You're putting this performance, or at least these uh, performance-appearing um, modifications onto your vehicle. So unless you find that specific, vi- that specific buyer that wants that spoiler that you happen to like, that wants those wheels that really spoke to you, um, I'd almost expect to see your value take a hit with, with those types of modifications. Okay, so uh, customize at your own risk. What about a uh, a window shaking sound system? You know the the big um, uh, thing in the you know the thing in the trunk, the one that you can hear the bass two blocks away. <laughs> I'd say a, a, you could look at a sound system a little bit differently in that um, it again it doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily say to a potential buyer that this car has been raced or used and abused. Um, but ultimately, you know, again, it's going to be up to the buyer. If that buyer places personal value on that sound system, then sure, maybe they'll be willing to kick, to kick up their offer by a few hundred dollars. But in a lot of cases, it's, you're better off by removing that sound system, putting back in the factory system, and trying to sell that sound system independently on something like eBay or Craigslist. You're going to get a better return because, again, not everybody values uh, a bumping sound system in the same way. Right. Okay, we have to pause here for one uh, more break. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Alec Gutierrez of the Kelly Blue Book on the science and art behind used car values. This is Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Back to Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. My guest is Alec Gutierrez, Senior Market Analyst for the Kelly Blue Book, found online at kbb.com. And if you have a question or comment, call us at 888-463-6748. Again, that is 888-463-6748. Before the break, uh, Alec, I was asking you about um, customizing your car and adding things to it. What if your car has been in an accident? Uh, should you be upfront about that? Uh, you know, whether you're selling it to a private party or trading it in. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we have to advise that you need to be upfront if your vehicle's been in an accident because if you don't disclose that, then um, and 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 a subsequent buyer ends up having an issue and coming across it later. Uh, there could be legal ramifications down the road, so well, we, we always recommend that it, it's better to be forthright and, and disclose that. Why is uh, you know being in an accident, you know, uh, even if it's a minor fender bender, why is that a big deal with most people? You think? Well, I'd say you know if it's a minor fender bender and it's just something that you could buff out, it's probably not as as big an issue. I'm thinking more in my head in terms of if you get into something major and there's some potential frame damage or right. something going on underneath the sheet metal that uh, could cause potential issues down the road. I mean, if you're talking a fender bender, a scrape here or there, obviously that's not going to have much of an issue if you're able to buff it out and, and get it replaced and there's no damage beyond uh, cosmetics. Right. Now, now some years back, my mother-in-law, as she got on in years, had trouble backing into her narrow garage and kept scra- uh, twice scraped aside, and she rushed off to her dealer and had it fixed. And when we sold that car, of course the dealers noticed that, you know, and, and, and marked it down. And it was it was it was minor, but you know I was almost of the mind that you know if she had asked, I would have said, you know, just leave it, <laughs> just leave it because that way they actually know what happened, and and once you get it fixed, maybe they're not sure, correct? Yeah, that's that's exactly. You, you see this, you see something's been fixed, and you don't know if if to your point, if that was just a minor ding that was that was very quickly brushed over, or if there was a, a more major accident, and you're really just kind of seeing on the surface what. Um, there, there could be much, much more underneath. So um, in that sense, if it's something minor, if, if nothing else, at least take photos and kind of document it before you get it fixed. Oh, there, there's a good, that's a good idea. Yeah. I yeah, like, like that way if you get questioned about it, you can say, hey, look, it, it was very, very minor. Take a look at my photos. Okay, yeah. Uh, what about mechanical problems? Or uh, is there a, um, I don't know, ethical requirement that you disclose that uh, the car has known issues, I think is how they describe it in the IT world. 
Right, right. And and again, I think um, it, it's the right thing to do to disclose any major mechanical issues that you're aware of. Um, but clearly, you can only disclose uh, the types of things that you're aware of that have been diagnosed by a mechanic. So um, if a check engine light's on, you know, that's going to be pretty hard to hide. You're going to have to disclose that, obviously. Um, but put, it's always put black be tape right? over it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or remove the bulb. You know, there's, there's lots of different things you can do. But uh, we recommend being forthright if, if at all possible. Okay, I, you know, I, I I would think that uh, any time that you don't disclose something and it is discovered in the uh, purchasing process, is that that's worse than being upfront about it. You know, so um, what uh, in in just in general guidelines that you can give consumers about researching the value of their vehicle and setting realistic expectations about what it's worth. Sure, absolutely. We always recommend um, doing your research online, checking a, a third-party source such as a KBB.com and to get a sense of what you could expect to get for your vehicle, whether you want to trade it in, sell it privately. We also recommend uh, checking local listings, so check sites like uh, like an auto trader, like an eBay, um, Craigslist, whatever you can do to find local inventory to get a sense of what other folks are listing their cars for so that you can list a competitive price that's going to catch the attention of uh, those prospective buyers online. Now, does um, does KBB.com uh, list any transaction prices, or you can go on there and see, see what uh, similar uh, cars similar to yours sold for? Oh, absolutely. In fact, that's, that's something that we, um, that we do offer in, in terms of what consumers are paying for new cars right now. It's actually a new product that we just launched on our website. So you can go on and, and get a sense of what other folks in your area are paying for similar vehicles. Um, and that's actually something that we're piloting right now in the used car space. Same thing. It's, it's called our used car fair purchase price. You can go online, take a look at what other folks are paying for uh, similar used vehicles in your area, and get a sense of uh, where those transactions are falling. Mm. This, uh, uh, on both counts, the uh, new car side and the used car side, this type of information seems to be coming uh, more widely available and rapidly becoming more widely available. Is that, do you think, long-term going to change how new and used vehicles, particularly used vehicles, may be sold? Oh, certainly. I think as, as the information becomes more readily available online and, and consumers are becoming uh, more and more comfortable bringing um, the transaction online, I, I think you will see uh, more of the transaction process conducted in an online space. I think it's it's easier said than done on a used car. On a new car, we know that there's a lot of similarities between vehicles, and there isn't as much of a need to inspect the vehicle firsthand. But a used car, every car has its own personal story. Mm-hmm. You can't disclose everything online. So I think it'll be tougher to move that transaction process online, but uh, there are a lot of folks that I think uh, would like to see that happen. Uh, the uh, uh, eBay has quite a used car business going there. I, I I've never quite warmed up to the idea of buying a car I haven't seen. Uh, <laughs> as, as, as you mentioned, um, um, but that seems to be somewhat popular, isn't it? Yeah, as I said, I think it's something that is growing. I think that comfort level is increasing. Um, but again, as, as I mentioned previously, every used car is, is unique. There's only so much you can see on the surface, but we do have great tools available to us. You know, you can run an auto check or a Carfax to get a, a vehicle history report, so at least you can know um, if there were any accidents that should be reported in there, provided that that person disclosed it to their insurance company. Um, so there are tools that can help you along the way, but at the end of the day, it's it's, it's going to be a while before the majority of consumers are ready to go down that path. Right. Uh, just uh, uh, the one of the surprising things I notice when I look at at used car listings, uh, well, the two things: it's the age of some of the vehicles for sale, and it's the mileage. A lot of vehicles over one hundred thousand miles are being listed, and uh, you know that. 20 years ago, that was uh, like, you know, cross it off your list if you hit 100. I'm sorry, uh, you cross off your list if it hit 100,000 miles, but now that's not the case. No, that's that's become the norm, and there's there's a couple of things going on there. One, I think vehicles produced in the last um, 10 years, certainly in the last five years, they're much, much higher quality than cars produced 15, 20 years ago, so they're going to last 100,000, 150,000 miles without breaking a sweat. Um, and two, one, one of the 
Uh, one of the outcomes that we saw from the economic downturn in 2008 and 2009, a lot of folks delayed their new car purchase um, and continued to drive their used cars. In fact, right now, the average used car on the road is about 11 years old mm-hmm. on average, the oldest it's ever been uh, since this has been tracked. So just speaks to the fact that consumers are holding on to cars longer and, and putting more and more miles on them before uh, they go back to trade it in. Right. Uh, that, uh, you would think, would impact the new vehicle market and that if people are hanging on to their um, older cars longer, that uh, it's going to hold down new vehicle sales, you would think. Right? Yeah, and I think it did for, for a number of years. But what we're seeing now is that uh, consumers are becoming a little bit more confident in their um, in their own personal finances with uh, the growth that we've seen in the economy again, which has been slower than we'd like to see, but it has been growing. So what we're seeing is that those consumers that have been delaying a purchase over the last several years, that pent-up demand has really been building up. And, and I think in the last couple of years, we're really starting to see those consumers come back into the marketplace, which has been a key driver into the new vehicle sales growth that we've seen uh, this year and in the last couple of years. Okay, l- last question before I let you go. Are there any red flags that uh, used car shoppers should just, uh, you know, they should, uh, say, avoid this car that you can think of? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say certainly if, if something comes up negative on a vehicle history report, like on an auto check, that's that's something that's going to... Um, going to cause you to take pause and take a second look. Certainly, and this is this is more applicable to those folks that live in um, the Northeast, uh, perhaps New Jersey and New York, where uh, Hurricane Sandy hit about a year ago, or to a lesser extent where Katrina hit back in New Orleans a couple of years ago. Any evidence of flood damage, and, and mm. I would I would run for the hills. <laughs> you never know what's going to what's going to go wrong with a vehicle that's been through a flood. So that's that's another thing I would look out for. But that's really region specific. I see. Okay. Alec Gutierrez, Senior Market Analyst for Kelly Blue Book. Thank you much for spending some time with us and discussing used cars. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay. Appreciate your help. That was Alec Gutierrez, Senior Market Analyst for Kelly Blue Book. And uh, that is about all the time we have for this week's episode of Cars, Trucks, and Bucks. Join us next week when we will talk about pickup trucks, the hard-working, heavy-duty, trailer-towing, cargo-hauling side of the auto industry. My guest will be Mark Williams, editor of PickupTrucks.com, the website that deals with trucks and nothing but trucks all the time. Until then, please visit my website, CarsTrucksAndBucks.com, for more information about next week's show, news updates, and vehicle reviews. Thanks again to today's guest, Larry Dixon of the NADA Used Car Guide and Alec Gutierrez of the Kelly Blue Book. And thanks to you for listening. This is Rick Popley saying, let's be careful out there. So long, everyone.